It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranson. Hello and welcome again to Talking Michigan Transportation. Today I'm especially pleased to be talking with Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, great champion of all things mobility in Michigan. Recently, the Lieutenant Governor, just like Governor Whitmer, has been traveling the state to point out how decades of underinvestment have really taken a toll on state roads and bridges. And he's going to talk about that and what he's been learning along the way. And he's also going to talk about new mobility and how technologies are going to enhance mobility options for all of us, especially those who are underserved and particularly vulnerable. And he's also going to talk about his passion for public transportation and how that came to be. So once again, thank you very much for being with us, Lieutenant Governor. Absolutely, Jeff. Happy to be here with you and, and uh, you know, certainly... I also take the opportunity to, to thank you and thank all the, the professionals at MDOT for the hard work they do every day. And um, it's, I think it's my responsibility and the government's responsibility to make sure that you, know, you have the resources to be able to, to, to do what you need to do and not have to, uh, not have to just work so hard with so little. Well, and that's really what this is about. So on Tuesday, you got your first kind of up-close-and-personal tour of some of those trunk lines that uh, really are, are falling into disrepair, and specifically, you were in Greater Grand Rapids with Rick Albin of Channel 8 and uh, got to, to see them and explain to him with uh, Art Green, our Transportation Service Center Manager in Grand Rapids, along for the ride to show you some of those trunk lines. Um, what, what do you think you most got out of that that maybe you, you kind of knew, but you know, it, it really cemented it for you. Well, what, what was helpful for me to understand, I, I, I didn't really, you know, obviously when you're driving, you can see when work has been done and you can see the patches, but I didn't say what to understand, like when you see a patch of a certain type, like what the what the failure was that was being fixed, what, what was broken that was being corrected, it was helpful for me to understand that because it gives you a nature, uh, an understanding of how the roads deteriorate. And uh, Art did a really good job explaining, you know, sort of what leads to deterioration and how building a road a certain way or how roads were built, you know, several decades ago and leads to a certain type of deterioration, how MDOT evolved these practices. But that still, at the end of the day, you know, these roads that are constructed have a lifespan. And there certainly is a maintenance plan associated with that lifespan and extending it as far as we can. But at some point, we need to make the choice to do reconstruction, not just repair. And so seeing those that were at sort of different points on that spectrum was really helpful to understand. And it also, for me, just really up the urgency, from my perspective, about why we need to have more resources available uh, in an ongoing and sustained way so that we can truly reconstruct those that need to be reconstructed rather than spending this uh, money year after year doing patch after patch which isn't really solving the underlying issues uh, thanks to that underinvestment. So the governor talked during her campaign in 2018 about, you know, fixing them right. And when you talk about reconstructions or completely rebuilding a road right down to the base, um, I think one of the things that was emphasized on that tour yesterday and the other tours was that if you keep patching it together, you know, use whatever metaphor you want, whether you're just patching holes in your roof when it really needs to be replaced, um, I mean, in your mind, does it just make long-term sense to invest now? Absolutely. I mean, we needed to invest uh, years ago, <laughs> and, and the legislature unfortunately chose not to do that. We needed to invest last year, which is why you know, the governor put forward a proposal that actually had 
uh, real revenue attached to it so we could solve this problem and get us on the path to having 90% of our roads in good or fair condition instead of 70% and falling. And so um, this cycle of annual patching, I think, for one, it creates more annoyance for, for drivers, frankly. I mean, there's more this kind of permanent construction uh, that doesn't really solve the underlying problem is problematic. It's not a good way to spend money. Uh, spending sort of throwing good money after something that will continue to deteriorate, and we know that. Rather than say we're going to make the real investment the first time, um, the urgency is it, it's critical. And uh, with every day and every month and every year that we wait on making a real investment, uh, the problem only gets more expensive. And I think the other thing that, that really struck me during the ride along in the Grand Rapids area was this is such an issue of public safety um, when roads. Um, have been allowed to deteriorate because of that underinvestment. You know, drivers are, are, are have to be mindful of that, and it's putting um, people at risk potentially. And so, we have a responsibility as leaders, I think, to make these investment choices. And unfortunately, uh, too many leaders for too long have have advocated that responsibility. Well, so what you heard, you know, last year, not not surprisingly, because if you ask anybody if they want to pay more in gas taxes, they say no. It'd be like, you know asking a six-year-old if they'd rather have a candy bar or, or some vegetables. But uh, what you heard was, no, you know, we don't want to pay more in gas taxes. So, I mean, what do you say to that? Well, not only what I heard, but what I experienced as an individual uh, driver with my own family is that people are paying for the state of our roads uh, every day. You know, the, the amount of money that people spend on car repair and on on blown tires, on bent rims, on, uh, you know, messed up undercarriages, on cracked windshields, on chipped paint, um, is more than $600 a year, which is, you know, frankly, uh, at an annual basis, that's much more than, than we put on the table as far as uh, using the gas tax to, to raise revenue. But we did uh, put forward also solutions to try to deal with that. I think most importantly, and I think what we I can talk about even more, is that so many families are in, in, impacted by this retirement tax that exists in Michigan, and we actually rolled that back in a way that would put more money in people's pocket than the gas tax increase was. So, you know, we tried to put forward a real solution that was complete and thought out, but nevertheless, uh, the, the legislature decided not to respond with a real plan. So this year, as we move forward, we're going to come forward with another plan that um, is going to help these state trunk lines, and uh, we're looking forward to, to, to making that real because, this is critical infrastructure that we have to invest in, and uh, well, we and we committed to fixing these problems, and we're going to do that. What do you think you've learned in the past year? I mean, in addition to some of these tours, um, just in your own uh, frequent drives back and forth between Detroit and Lansing. You know what I've seen has given me great pride as, in engineering and in the professionals at MDOT because they've had to work with with so little and so many constraints. Had to get creative about how to really do asset management in a really intelligent and robust way to try to get these roads to last as long as they have. Uh, you know, I learned about MDOT really being a leader in how asset management um, has been implemented across the country. And so uh, that's something that I probably didn't appreciate as much uh, before being exposed to, to these professionals and, and the work they do every day. So um, I... Commend, commend everyone at MDOT for that. And again, I, I just it further motivates me to, to advocate and to make sure that we can get more resources for them to deliver these these uh, 
better transportation experiences for the people in the state of Michigan. Yeah, so you're definitely uh, singing from their hymnal when you talk about asset management. I think that's one of those terms that sounds, you know, really bureaucratic on the surface, but when you start to understand it, it, it makes sense for pretty much everything we do and how we plan. You know, look, I worked in city government in Detroit, and, you know, one of the projects that I looked at was um, capital, trying to do a coordinated capital infrastructure planning um, and sort of construction projects between, you know, city road road projects and uh, Detroit Water and Sewage Department projects and uh, utility uh, digs and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it exposed me to the importance of doing that well and doing that properly and understanding um, how to coordinate that, those kind of things. And so I, it gave me an appreciation for it that I've seen at a scale. It's almost unimaginable at the state level. Um, it's, a, it's really incredible work. So let's talk about that since you brought up your background uh, with the city and uh, you've long been a user of, of public transit, you and your, your whole family, and you're a, I, I think you're a, a great ambassador for the need for public transportation. Could you talk about why that means so much to you? Yeah, it, it's, it's really important. I talked about earlier that, uh, you know, being a, being a driver, um, well, my, my wife and I, and our, our at the time, we just had our twins. Um, now we have a third, a uh, new baby, seven months old. But uh, at the time, we, my wife and I did not drive, even though we lived in the city of Detroit for about two and a half years. And uh, during that time, we relied on public transit. We uh, rode bikes. We used other alternative forms. We took like ride sharing and used car sharing services and stuff like that. But we did not have a car. And um, it's a point of pride for me because I mean, I taught my four-year-old children how to ride the bus. So they were really familiar with the bus going up and down Michigan Avenue or the bus to, to the New Center area. My wife worked in the Fisher Building. And um, I think having that type of infrastructure available and accessible, affordable, that would be reliable, is critically important to ensuring that people have access to the full experience of their community for not just work, not just the healthcare services, not just education, but also for fun and recreational activities and being able to go see people who you care about and love and live in different parts of your uh, community. And so... Um, I certainly believe that we need to make big investments in those, and certainly other parts of the country and parts of the world that have chosen to invest in that infrastructure, they have seen the fruits of that investment as far as really high-quality experiences for people who have chosen to live there. So do you see a time in your you know, near future where the city of Detroit really has that kind of connectivity with uh, you know, perhaps bus rapid transit that links to uh, new center that you can take the queue line and then you can connect, uh, you know, with the people mover or perhaps it'll be, you know, a, a driverless shuttle, something like May Mobility is doing now for Dan Gilbert's employees, but something else that could be for the public as May Mobility does in the city of Grand Rapids. I mean, you kind of, you've been involved, you've, you've visited the Council on Future Mobility and you've studied this stuff. Do you, do you really think that that's all that's coming? Well, I would uh, not be in this line of work if I was not an eternal optimist. And, you know, I, I absolutely believe that, that that future is possible. And I think that, um, you know, folks are working through some of the political barriers to that. But I think it is undeniable that increasing the number of mobility options and increasing how convenient and affordable and safe and reliable they are and increasing um, the places that those options can take people and can take things um, is something that is critical to the successful future of not just uh, the Metro Detroit community in Southeastern Michigan, but it's critical to the, to the success of the state of Michigan going forward. 
as people are looking, we're convincing people, we're trying to convince people to choose Michigan as a place to build their lives, build their careers, build their families. And, you know, having transportation infrastructure is a key component of quality of life when you're making life choices. I did this tour in 2019 called Thriving Cities in the fall. I visited 19 cities across the state. And one of the things that I talked about with folks on how to improve quality of life in cities was transportation and mobility. And I didn't just hear about transportation being important in Detroit. I heard about it in Battle Creek. I heard about it in Marquette. I heard about it in Jackson. And so this sort of the ability to connect our communities to transportation infrastructure is critical to our community success. And so that's why it's so important to me personally, it's important to our administration, and supporting the state of Michigan. Well, and I think you really kind of underscored the the social justice imperative of all this, uh, both last year when we rolled out the mobility challenge and the new grants for various, you know, autonomous shuttles and, and technology that would help people with disabilities or elderly people or just anybody who really is vulnerable in terms of mobility. And then uh, to piggyback on that, you last week were able to uh, announce what we're going to show off during the auto show this year at the North American International Auto Show in Detroit in June with uh, shuttles back and forth from the airport to uh, the TCF Center and also those that are just doing circulators downtown. So I, I think that yeah. that future is exciting. It, it's exciting. And, you know, from, from my standpoint, look, I'm coming at this. Yes, I, I think the technology is cool and exciting and interesting. At the same time, I think that the innovation, and, and I mean innovation, I mean that creating something that is you know, new, different, better, and more valuable to more people, the innovation is in how are these, these uh, technologies able to deliver a rich, more robust, more accessible, more diverse transportation experience for as many people as possible. So I, am, I, am, I understand that we need to do pilot projects but I'm less excited about uh, these sort of niche projects that will serve a small number of people than I am about companies and individuals that are seeking to innovate to scale these types of technologies and, and experiences to as many people as possible. I'm excited about the auto show experience because those circulators downtown, you know, they have the chance to serve a ton of people, not just people who are, who are at the auto show. And that's exciting because that can you know, expose more people to this technology, let them know that that future is possible and is coming and help them prepare for it and help them also get feedback on what that future can look like. Yeah, and help the, you know, help the writer get comfortable with it and gain confidence because, as you know, the polling still shows a lot of skepticism or fear uh, about, you know, turning the, the wheel over to a robot or AI. But, uh, you know, we're finding that changing gradually. And, you know. <laughs> look, I, at the Consumer Electronics Show this year, I was able to ride in... A, a taxi that had no driver, no person in the driver's seat. It did a 15-minute ride with the company uh, Yandex, which is one of the winners of the uh, you know mobility challenge who will be demonstrating their technology during the auto show in June. And yeah, it took a little getting used to to see the steering wheel turning by itself in this car. And we were driving on live streets. We made left turn into oncoming traffic. We, we merged with, with traffic. We uh, had a car do a a U-turn in front of us that the uh, that the autonomous vehicle had to deal with, and it navigated those things. But so it certainly will, um, you know, take some getting used to for people. But I ultimately think that as long as we are 
have the right parameters in place to ensure that technology can evolve safely, I think that people will be uh, be excited about what it enables for them. You know, the personal note on that, yeah. um, for the, the benefit of driverless cars. So for those who don't know, I am six feet, eight inches tall. And there's a whole lot of legroom in the back seat behind the, the driver's seat of a car without a driver. So, you know, for tall people, we can unite around that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I was just going to say the other thing to add that because you're you're interested in these innovations and because you're an eternal optimist, self-described, um, you know, we talk a lot about Michigan, you know, being the state that put the world on wheels and the need to stay invested in this even as the economy diversifies and, you know, we find other other ways to employ people and other ways to drive the economy. But uh, do, you, do you feel like Michigan can continue to be a national leader given, you know, what's going on in this space in Silicon Valley and other states are, are trying to have at it too? Well, we can. I mean, you know, Michigan has such tremendous assets. And the number one asset we have in terms of the future of mobility is our people and our talent. Michigan has the highest concentration of engineering talent in the country. And that talent uh, has a deep experience, generational experience with mobility. And what we're seeing is that companies that are want to enter into this space are recognizing that they need that talent for their com- companies to be successful. It's the reason why Google uh, had their first, uh, where Alphabet, I guess to be precise, had their first Waymo manufacturing facility, and they're having that facility uh, here in Michigan because they know that this is where the talent is, the expertise is, to match that technical know-how with the experience of actually making things that get people from point A to point B. And so we need to leverage that expertise into new forms of mobility. I think that we can do that and maintain our position as the place with the people who will define the future of mobility. And I'm I'm excited about that and excited to do everything I can to support that. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity in this space going forward. There's going to be a lot of areas uh, of the country that are going to be able to participate in it. But the primacy of Michigan is not going to go away. Well, I think that's a very good note to end it on. I appreciate you taking the time to do this and, uh, you know, hope that as the future goes on and there's more developments, we can talk about these things more. Happy to do it, Jeff. Thank you, and thanks everyone at MDOT. Hey, thanks again for listening to this week's edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. And I want to give a special thanks to Corey Peaty, who uh, does the sound engineering for the podcast and to Sarah Martin uh, of MDOT who does the show's intro and closing. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more on SoundCloud or by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.